Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to TLS Voices. I'm Michael Keynes. On September 12th, 2015, the British Labour Party elected a new leader, Jeremy Corbyn, the long-standing Member of Parliament for Islington North, and an apparently unlikely candidate for the post, since he is, of all things, something of a socialist. This backbencher's victory over a trio of more centrist candidates for the job has inspired political commentators of all stripes to new altitudes of hysteria. Hope and hostility alike have driven them to scrutinise his personal life and past voting record, analyse his proposed policies and to make confident predictions about how his Labour Party could fare in a general election. But these are very early days. For some, they are the start of a brave new world, a fight back against the austere Conservatives that we could liken to the rise of the radical left Syriza party in Greece, Podima in Spain, and maybe even Bernie Sanders' concurrent campaign to become the Democratic Party's presidential candidate in the United States. For others... This is a throwback to the 1970s and 80s, when, ominously for Corbyn perhaps, Labour took a political turn to the left and were trounced at the polls, suffering their worst defeat in 1983 at the hands of the Conservatives led by Margaret Thatcher. What happens next for Corbyn, nobody can say for sure. But Mrs Thatcher is another story. The very mention of her name in the title of a short story by Hilary Mantel, admittedly a story called The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher, was enough to create a little storm of its own in the winter of 2014. Thatcher also has a special place in The Infant and the Pearl, a curious, ambitiously conceived poem by the late Douglas Oliver. First published in 1985, The Infant and the Pearl is a pastiche of the 14th century poem Pearl, a dream vision in long alliterative stanzas that speaks to its moment while also, by its form, seeming to reach back to a medieval, allegorical mode of meditating on higher things. 
Halfway through my life, Oliver once observed, Britain changed to long-lasting conservatism, which, while I don't say it oppressed all poetry, oppressed my own. No wonder some have read this poem as straightforwardly anti-Thatcherite satire, but there seems to be more to it than that, as in the following extracts. As the political nation readjusts once more, struggling to accommodate and understand what may indeed be a new, if short-lived, era, it seems apt to return to Douglas Oliver's search for a figure he calls Rosine, a spirit of mercy and grace, who Thatcher, flickering in and out of focus, as dream figures will, has alarmingly replaced. In a Tory blue Bentley, the dreaming poet tours the slums and the city and the Houses of Parliament, morphing into one figure and then another, pursuing and arguing with Rosine and others, until, at last, the dreamer awakes. A grey light dawned, and on the distant hills that I dreamt of lay a city of disdain, circled with steel walls, with silent spires like warheads, in which one pane gleamed in bleak agate, an arrogant city above countryside that a moraine seemed to have hit, a hoarfrost land, medieval, the poor and the mighty again in the chivalric hierarchy, but no golden chain of charity joining them, just the martinet reign of chance ruling commerce, in whose train come prosperity, perils, and probably regret. The hills, though, were free, free of disorder, hills of privilege, of prerogative governance, a regime arising from the ruins of order, lording it over the lean shires. Once the same Britain, now they were Britain's border, an encircling supreme around happenstance and I was a new style, a knowing dreamer, though a grey friar flying over fetid expanse, whose unfortunate fields were unfertilised by providence, where medieval was modern, and where Margaret ruled without Rosine, true mercy, while chance bred possible prosperity, perils, or regret. The blue bonnet, with its proud little bee for Bentley, or Britain, coasted like a boat under the barren boughs. Hitachi have fiddled with logic control and come out with what you'd anticipate, adjustable futurity, chuckled my driver. It's the actual's antidote, the future replayed in the present, jitter-free. A revision of what hasn't happened. What we do is this, we project into spot X, say, your dream, a futurity reader function that monitors the future moat in your eye and the beam in the eye of our leader and replays a replica leader onto the screen of the present, holographically, if we have to. In the front passenger seat came the sheen of a thin televisual figure, a grave, black-coated man assembling. Do you mean, I replied, it's really her replica? What of the actual Mrs Thatcher? Actual? In a dream, have you taken leave of your senses? We save the actual for believers. 
you'll have to behave as if all responses are real. But we need a true guide to the future, not a TV wraith. In your eye, not in the eye of our leader. The leader herself switched on, I suppose you'd say, beside me, though with some tearing of her upper torso towards me, the nose angled aggressively, though the whole was caring in demeanour despite being dislocated. I froze in panic at such a celebrity. She was wearing a pearly suit, not silver rose pink, since sadly we seemed to be sharing a black, blue and white world. But the bearing of the front passenger meant a man for the media to deal with delicately. A Joseph for dreaming and decrying dreams in the eye of his leader. But Sir Keith, staring round at his leader, somehow altered and became Adam Smith. And Smith turned into a stockbroker. How? The broker broke in. Of our band, except those engaged on defence... Anyhow, of the rest, the centre is me. I stand for the essence, the mechanical entrails of video-age Tory. In you of the leader, who vanished smiley-eyed, that essence, the new Adam, that eminence grease, turned icily, like a teacher who's tried end times to explain the economic freeze. Look through the window at the worlds that has died under your sentimental socialism. The Tories have the perfect pearl, our policy. Beside me, the seat shone, so that the trees took a gleam from the glowing. I saw poverty's sad spirits amid the slim trunks. Whose ghosts are these? Whose? Oh, aren't those the idle, the dull, the deprived, the drunks? Liverpool's slums, Lambeth's, the dull haunt our labour markets. They must live monastic lives until the industrious, the investors, the brilliant and expert haul us on stretchy elastic towards wealth. We whisked by the scant foliage. Finally, the faint tick of the Bentley puttered through a gap. The pennant waved in an auto-roots wind. Then, as quick as changing channels, we chased in fantastic acceleration along the high banks of the motorway, meditating our majestic escape from the dull, the deprived, the drunks. We followed the river to Fortune's Wheel and its Parliament, then down an underpass with metal surfaces spinning like a steel-coiled wormhole through time, whereas we held steady as a spaceship in a special effects catastrophe. My secretary was proffering my order paper, as though political protocol prevailed in whirlwinds. Pompous because the Bentley was mine now, and because the main motion before the Parliament was mine also, I stared in surprise at the annoying frivolity of an amendment. Lost in the annoyance, I was hardly aware we'd been grounded in a gravy-brown gothic décor. From the car door, a corridor, panelled in oak, opened an honorific progress down a carpet in the commons. My career was poised on the pure real politic of the day's debate. The doors to the chamber were pulled open by the body politic of the sergeant-at-arms, and I saw seraphic gleams of light. But a grey garment floated by me, and I almost forgot to think of my motion and its annoying amendment. Annoyance gone, 
I saw my grey gown sported by an old MP pass by us en route for the opposite lobby. My own feeling was I should follow, that impulse being stopped by my secretary. She'd shown me my speech draft. I stuttered, this is serious, who was that man? Well, he's been known from here to eternity as father of the house, she sneered. But Shinwell, who's a scrupulous lord, is no sell-yourself socialist bent on crossing the commons in a confidence crisis when we're up against such an annoying amendment, I argued, anxious instead of annoyed, for the father had resembled my father, drained and grey, descended to that void from which he waits for me to remember him in dreams. Through the doors that candid light reminded me I was a member of the assembly, one unable to avoid being beckoned by ambition. To enter the chamber changed me entirely. A sheer bombardment of light blazed on the government side where I was. All was wrong, but whoever had added the previously annoying amendment could annoy me no more. The light that flooded the government side of the floor shone from a white world opposite whose crystal cliffs crowded the shore of a fast-flowing stream. This was the trite stream of time that I've talked of before, unusual here in issuing in spate from sluices set under the speaker's chair. The commons was cut in two. The corps of MPs from all parties packed close together on the government benches, and that gladder kingdom whose cliffs were clear glass. The glassy surfaces gleamed with fragmentary mirrorings of all the MPs as we peered at a cliff-like facade, like a stacked factory for industrial ice, whose cubes reared up, winking in sun, from an unseen clerestory. And the sun was Switzerland warm. It speared across narrow alleyways, silvery rosy as a laser lancing through weird chunks of Turkish delight. It cheered my heart, empty as that heaven was, for the normal confusion of the commons had cleared in that other kingdom, whose cliffs were of glass. Like a Douglas Oliver lookalike, the speaker dreamily searched our side and recognised me, which, although autoscopic for both of us, deepened the dark divide in myself. I stood up to speak, conscious of the stream swirling through the wide middle ground of debate, a dyke between self and supreme. Each glassy fragment flashed a vignette of some vinegary visage beside me, famous in cabinet, shadow cabinet, Benite or SDP lib circles. So as I explained the monetary answer, I expected the common commons mixture of raucous attack and counter-attack, and yet reflected in facets of the bevelled surfaces, was a sort of solemn, sourpuss musing, like orangutans en masse, except for the pearly premier's face quizzing me hard from the kingdom of glass. In this week's TLS, Carol Tavris explores the cultural histories of plucking and nakedness. Linda Colley looks at Magna Carta's role in the history of military failure. We consider the future of television, 
Tessa Hadley's past, and Jonathan Clark argues that Thomas Paine did not write parts of Rights of Man. To find out more about the TLS and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week, in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS. Life in every word. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.